Welcome back, everybody, to the best seat at the track, the Front Stretch Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Davey Siegel. We have our very own Amy Henderson on with us this week to chat about Martin Truex Jr.'s dominant Darlington performance and talk a little bit about Dover. And speaking of that performance, we have a very special guest this week, Martin Truex Jr. himself. Not often that we get the race winner, especially the Cup Series race on. That's why this episode is very, very special. Excited to chat with Martin and excited to chat with Amy. Let's get this started. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. Green flag is out on the podcast this week. Amy, Martin Truex Jr., what else is there to say? I mean, he said in the post-race Zoom, he said, I love low downforce. That's all I'm going to say. And I think that pretty much speaks volumes for the entire day at Darlington because he put an absolute whooping on the field, led 248 of 293 laps, swept all three stages, and made it look easy. Yeah, absolutely. And he's the type of driver um, where he seems to do that. He, We've seen it before from mm-hmm. him. It's And I remember many, many years ago watching him at, it might have even been his very first Bush North series back. That's what K and N East oh, is back Arctic in the day. East used to be way back in the day. Maybe even his first start at Loudon led every lap, and sort of then. <laughs> so he's kind of continued that trend, and he's he's one of those drivers who can go out and dominate a day. And you know, I I know there's some fans out there who who don't like it when one driver has a race like that, mm-hmm. but you have to be impressed, right, by the type of race. They did everything right, and it's it's so easy to make a mistake these days, and one little mistake costs so much that I, I, it's it, it's it's impressive. And there's nothing, there's really nothing you can take away from that. No, I completely agree there. You know, like on one hand, people will look at it and say, "Oh, he stuck up the show again. He's done this a few times." On the other hand, I'm looking at it and saying, "This is amazing what this team and this driver are doing because." You go back a couple years to the Coke 600, led every lap, but I think maybe four at the Coke 600. Are you kidding? He did it again at Fontana one year. He did it at Kentucky one year. He did it again now here at Darlington. And, you know, no disrespect to Kentucky or Fontana or Charlotte, but those are not racetracks where you have to manhandle the car as much as you do at Darlington, especially when drivers have become somewhat accustomed to the 550 package. We'll get to the 750 package. Don't worry, people. But he did that this weekend and manhandled the car. And you're going to hear him talk about it in the very interview that we had on this very show. That was fun for him. And it was fun because he was out front. He had a good car, but also he was out of control and didn't have a lot of grip for a lot of the time. So putting in the performance that he did with that package, seeing the amount of grip that he did or did not have, I think it makes it all the more impressive. Oh, absolutely it does. You know, it, to go out and do that, Darlington is a track where you are racing the track every bit as much, if not more, than you're racing the, the competition. Amen. And it, it changes throughout the day, especially in a day race. Day racing at Darlington it can be tough. I mean, <laughs> any any race at Darlington is tough. But yeah. it, it, during the day, especially, the track changes. And, and you'll see teams that are... Um, really fast. Kevin Harvick's a great example. He was fast at the very beginning, started up front, led some laps, and once he faded, he faded. Yeah. 
Brad Keselowski started on the pole, and he was three laps down at the end. Absolutely. So if you can't, Darlington's one of those tracks. If you don't, if you're not ready for, and prepared for that track, and you're not re- and ready to race it and keep up with it, then you're going to be shuffled back pretty quick. So that just makes it to me all the more impressive what Truex did. This season, he has three wins so far. He's the only driver in Cup to have multiple wins. So anybody that's going to win another race, they have to win two to catch up to him right now. He's got the most playoff points. He's with the best team at the moment. JGR seems to be head and shoulders above everybody else, maybe a tick above Penske right now. I mean, it's obvious that he is the driver to beat at the moment, right? I think we would probably put Truex and Larson as number one and number two. Do you think that he and the team can sustain this, though, not just for the entirety of the regular season, but also throughout the playoffs, and can they peak at the right time and continue this upward trend? That's a tough call, right? We saw last year what, how, how well that went for Kevin Harvick. Yeah. And the season he had, and then that that third round of the playoffs just was not there for him. So it just shows how tough the playoff system really is, that you can have all the momentum in the world coming in, and one bad race can slam everything to a halt. Mm-hmm. I think it's still worth... Dover marks the halfway point for us on the on the regular season. Which is crazy, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. It's gone <laughs> by so fast. But so I think it's it's still too early for me to say, yeah, this is the guy who's going to be at the top of the heap when we get to, to Phoenix in November because it's just there's so much that can happen between now and then. Another team might find something. Mm-hmm. You can stumble in the playoffs. You still got that that talent in your race in the playoffs. Yep. And the name of the game is building up the playoff points, right? So that you don't get eliminated. Um, but that can still, as we saw last year, that can still happen. That's how crazy it is. And 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 I'm I'm sitting here looking too, and and I'm not willing to count out Denny Hamlin just because of his consistency. Yeah, I hear you on that. And even looking back to last year, right? You know, Chase Elliott wins the championship. I bet you if if you told me where he was at this point in the season last year, I'm not going to say a non-factor, but I don't think that he was on anybody's radar as a championship favorite. But leaving Martinsville with all that momentum, just not from the Martinsville win, but in general, he was one of the favorites, right? So it's, it's all about peaking at the right time and getting to a point where you can rely on the playoff points. But even as you said, Amy, you can have all the playoff points in the world and still not get through to the Final Four because... Kevin Harvick had more than anybody had ever had in the history of this format, and he didn't make it to the Final Four. Denny Hamlin barely made it by the skin of his teeth. So even though Truex and company seem to be racking them up right now, it is all about what you do in the second-to-last round of the playoffs. It doesn't matter what you do in the rounds before that anyway. If you want to win a championship, you need to perform at those three tracks, which is Texas, Martinsville, and I think Kansas this year as well. So if you don't perform there... Nothing's going to matter in terms of getting a championship because it's all about what have you done for me lately. No, that's absolutely true, and and that's both. It's both. It's a good thing in that it it definitely keeps some excitement in there because really, I don't think anybody saw Martinsville coming last year. No, um, you know, with everything that happened, and that was a crazy race just in terms of following who was in, who was out, who was going to you know be there. You know, because it came down to so many things. In a lot of ways, Martinsville reminded me a lot of 
that crazy Atlanta race in 1992 when you didn't know who the champion was going to be until the last lap of the race. Mm -hmm. And this was just to get into the title race. So it certainly brought a lot of excitement. You know, on the other hand, you know, an argument can also be made that, you know, it really kind of wasn't, you didn't have your best driver of the whole year in the, in the title race. So it, it certainly keeps us everybody on their toes. And yeah. And I think that just makes it, it's way too early to call this guy a championship favorite, because like we saw last year with Chase Elliott, Mm -hmm. you could have somebody heat up over the summer and just get everything right in the playoffs when it really matters and, and, and steal one away. So it's, it's just too early to say. Yeah. I don't disagree with any of that for sure. All right. We got to talk quickly about the package because it's been running rampant on social media. Everybody's got an opinion. Was it a good race? Was it a bad race? Did they enjoy it? Were they bored? Whatever. I'm going to ask your opinion. The 750 package at Darlington compared to the 550 last year. Did you enjoy what you saw on Sunday? Do you want the 550 back? Where do you stand on all of that? And I know it's a lot to take in and a lot to absorb, but that's the topic of conversation this week. Oh, absolutely. It is. You know, the way I, the kind of the way I see it, no matter what package NASCAR puts on these cars, and they have done a ton, to NASCAR's credit, over the last few years, they've tried a whole bunch of things to make they the sure race have. better, whatever whatever better is. Yeah. And so so you got to give credit where it's due. Has it always worked? No. Sometimes the races are super exciting. Sometimes, and I don't, I don't like to discredit a race like Darlington because it didn't have the most exciting finish in the world because Larson just couldn't keep pace at the very end there um, in lap traffic. And, you know, if, if he'd, if he'd been still been right on his bumper, it would have been a whole different story, I think, with fans. But I hate to discredit a performance like Truex and say that was a terrible race after the guy went out and absolutely dominated at probably the most difficult track on the, on the circuit to do that at. Yeah, that's Short a good of point. a super speedway. So it's really hard for me to look at that race and say, man, what a terrible race. Was it the most exciting finish I've seen all year? No. But what Truex and his team did is just so impressive. And, and to me, you have, to me, I would much rather see a race that plays out organically and, you know, without excess cautions, without, you know, all, you know, craziness, whatever you want to call it. I would just much rather see a race play out organically and throughout the history of the sport that, you know, sometimes that leads to a great finish and sometimes it leads to, you know, something, you know, anybody thought this one was boring, probably would have really not wanted to sit through Ned Jarrett winning by 14 laps. Right. So I think it just, there's something for everybody out there and every race isn't going to please every fan. You said it pretty well. I think the, the word that I go back to is organically, like you mentioned, because there's one thing to say about, you know, we go back to Kansas the week before, right? the tire that was in the infield and it wasn't a caution for 15 laps. And then all of a sudden when the pit cycle was over, it was, and that should it have been thrown? Should it not have been? I don't know, but it was thrown. And then cautions, bred cautions, created more restarts, created more drama. And it wasn't necessarily manufactured, but they didn't have to necessarily throw the yellow when they did. And then that created a domino effect, right? At Darlington, we saw the stage breaks, which are technically manufactured cautions, But other than that, we saw 
legitimate organic cautions. Drivers wrecking off of turn two on the backstretch, which we never see anymore. Drivers losing it in the corners, hitting the wall, which we never see anymore. Tire conservation coming into play, which is extremely rare at a track. Any track now nowadays in NASCAR besides Atlanta, Homestead, and probably Darlington. And to see it play out that way, even though Truex was leading by 13, 14, 15 seconds in the second stage at some points, it still came down to the end where, as you said, Amy, it wasn't necessarily the most compelling finish ever. But down the stretch, Larson did close the gap. And it wasn't because of a restart. It wasn't because somebody spun their tires. It wasn't because of a stage break. It was organic green flag pit cycles with the driver who hit on it at that very moment in the race coming up and getting on the Truex's bumper wasn't able to do anything. But even then, you know, am I going to want to watch a race like that every week? No, I don't think I would. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love it. I mean, I would watch it happily and I enjoy Darlington. I enjoy the package, but I think there's beauty in moderation. And I wrote about it in NASCAR mailbox this week. The reason why so many people, I think Amy, are on one way or another on on the fence about this is because they've been subjected to the 550 package where a lot of drivers are flat out. They don't love it necessarily. takes it out of the driver's hands. It's equipment-based. And then when you flip that on its head and you put it back in the driver's hands and equipment is not the only thing that matters and driver skill does come back into the equation, even if the product on track from the naked eye, does not look as close necessarily or as competitive necessarily as it does out of Kansas, Texas, what have you. That is why I think a lot of people are falling on the side of, I don't care what the the box score said, this is a good race. So that's a really roundabout way of me saying, I fall somewhere in the middle because I appreciate what we saw on Sunday from the dominant performance and from the driver's skill coming into play, but also, it wasn't the best race of all time, it was not a barn burner, But that's okay. Not every race is going to be that way. Absolutely. I agree with that. A hundred percent. Not every race at Darlington is going to be Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch, right? Unfortunately not. Most likely you're not going to have that. Um, But it it makes the races when you do have a race like that more memorable. I mean, everybody remembers that Darlington race. Everyone does. And not everyone is going to remember this one, but that's okay too. I think... You have to – it's not every race – I think NASCAR is doing something wrong if every race looks like Daytona and Talladega. Yeah. I know some fans would disagree with that because those races always have exciting finishes. That There's something to be said. Parity is great up to a certain point, but you have to let teams find something. Mm-hmm. And the good teams are going are, are gonna to shine. The best drivers are going to shine. Yeah. And that's what you want to see in the sport. And every once in a while, you have an underdog too. You know, and and that's just what makes the sport great. And if every race looked the same, I don't think it would be as exciting. I think fans would get tired of it really quick if every race looked like Daytona and Talladega. They'd get tired of it really quick if every race looked like Bristol, and they'd get tired of it really quick if every, if every race looked like Darlington. That's why we have different tracks on the schedule. Amen. Preach, sister Amy. I got you. I'm with you. I, I hear you on all that. We're in agreement there. All right, I've, I've had enough package talk for one day, so why don't you stick around? We'll get a stage break out of the way and talk to Martin Shrooks Jr. This week's stage break is brought to you by no one yet, but I'm being told that we are working on it very, 
very intently, and something's going to come together soon. According to my man, Kevin Didi, sales manager at Front Stretch, and advertising is wide open on the Front Stretch pod. You guys know what to do by now. If you want to attach your brand to this wonderful website, this podcast, myself, Amy, everybody on our staff, contact Kevin Didi, ddk37 at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-D-Y-K-37 at gmail.com. Let's throw it over to our interview with Darlington Race winner, Dominator, Martin Truex Jr. As we mentioned, it is rare that we get an opportunity to sit down with any Cup Series driver. Moreover, the leader of the pack in the Cup Series right now, coming off of one of the most dominant performances that we've seen this year and in recent memory. Really, really appreciate Martin giving us some of his time. So without further ado, here is our chat with Martin Truex Jr. Pleasure to be joined this week by the race winner at Darlington. I got to say, it's pretty rare that we get this type of opportunity. But Martin Truex Jr. is on the show with us this week. You got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Three wins on the season. Dominated at Darlington. Heading to another track that starts with a D that you've dominated out in the past in Dover. Life's pretty good for you right now, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Things are going well. I can't complain. So, uh, yeah, Darlington was a lot of fun. And, uh you know, we've, we've won there before, but we've had so many close calls in the past, uh, you know, the past couple of years, a, a couple of real heartbreakers, including last fall. So, um, you know, to be able to go uh, to seal the deal this time was was really cool and uh, it's definitely such a special place to win. Uh, and now, like you said, going to Dover this weekend, really fired up and excited about our team and, and where we're at. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can go there and get two in a row. So I know you mentioned in the post-race media press conference after Darlington, you know, you guys are constantly working on your stuff because it's the best right now, one could say, but it only matters, you know, if it's the best when it comes down to crunch time at the end of the year. Are you at all worried about potentially peaking too soon and maybe another team getting ahead of you guys when it counts at the end of the year and peaking above you guys? Or are you not really focused on that at the moment? You know, I, I don't really worry too much about that. I think, um, you know, where you want to be in the sport is, is winning races and leading laps. And, you know, no matter what, what part of the season it's in, I think that's very important. I think if you look at our strongest seasons, um, you know, it was when we were winning races, leading a lot of laps. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what it takes. And I think, you know, to trying to put ourselves in a good playoff position right now, just, you know, based on bonus points and, and playoff points. So, um, you know, we're doing good at that right now. And, you know, really, um, once we won that first race at Phoenix, uh, you know, you kind of you lock yourself in the playoffs and you're like, OK, it's time to, you know, it's time to go now. Let's take advantage of this. And, right. um, you know, how do we get as many points as we can for the playoffs? That's really what it's all about. So, uh, you know, just got to keep checking those boxes and uh, building up that cushion. You mentioned it. You won at Phoenix. That's kind of an important race. You won at Martinsville. That's kind of an important race. Uh, you won at Darlington. That's also in the playoffs. All these tracks have one thing in common. You know where I'm going. 750 package. You love it. I know you do. Um, you mentioned afterwards that you know your brother-in-law was giving you some crap. You know, in the past couple years for them changing the package because of that. And you said that he was going to do the same thing when you got home that night. So did he do it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he did exactly that. He's yeah, great job. You went and stunk up the show again. Um, again, yeah. Yeah, which I mean, it was uh, it wasn't quite, you know, that dom. I mean, it was it looked dominant, but you know, it was it, it was, was pretty tough. dominant, man. I mean, come on, yeah. 
I know it was, but it was still it was still tough, and it was Darlington, yeah. it's a handful, and um, you know, I was I was I was living on the edge most of the day there, so mm-hmm. glad it all worked out. I know you like living on the edge, though. I think a lot of the drivers would probably concur with that. Uh, I think Denny Hamlin, your teammate, said it pretty pretty well after the race. You know, people will look at the box score and say, "Oh, he dominated. He was up twelve seconds in the second stage," but we were wheeling those things all day long. And that's something that you may not be able to see with the naked eye, but when you get into the minutiae, you look at the in-car cameras, you hear the throttle. It was a really welcome change, at least from my perspective watching, and I'm sure it was for you behind the wheel as well, actually having not a lot of rear grip and having to pedal the throttle in the corners. Yeah, I, I would say there's probably not uh, there's probably not a whole lot of laps that I ever got wide open until I was on the straightaway, you know, get perfectly straight. I mean, it was... Uh, it was slick. You know, we haven't raced Darlington with that package since 2018. The track's right. eight since then. You know, those summers are hard on that place, sitting there in that sun out there in South Carolina. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the tires, the tire wear, uh, the grip level was was lower than it's ever been. Um, yeah, and it was surprisingly slick <laughs> racing there in the daytime. So, yeah. Uh, definitely a ton of fun, a perfect way for a throwback weekend to, uh, to be able to have to work the throttle and, and, uh, you know, big leads one thing, but it really came down to the end as a, as a nail biter. And, um, you know, Larson closed the distance and, and really put the pressure on. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was definitely not easy. Um, it was definitely not maybe as easy as it looked on TV as far as a yeah. you know, big lead or whatnot, but, uh, you know, we had a great race car and, and I think, you know, there's, there's things that our car could have done better for sure. I think, you know, with that package and that grip level, it's really just being, being the best, you know, just being not as bad as everybody else, really not, you know, it's yeah. not about being perfect. It's about being better than the rest. So, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a challenge and, uh, you know, cool place to win as always. Well, as you said, you put a good old old fashioned ass whooping on them. So you did pretty well for yourself there. <laughs> this is your 30th. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is your 30th career win, Martin, and I was actually in Dover when you won your first race. I was a wee lad. I remember that day. Uh, I remember the Michael Waltrip racing days. I remember the early Furniture Row racing days. Have you reflected at all on that specific milestone? Because your career has been a roller coaster one, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. Did you ever think you'd get to the 30 mark? Um. You know, I, I try not to, I really have never thought about those kind of things. Um, you know, I did think about it this week, like, wow, 30 is a lot. Of, that's a lot of wins. And it is, you know, 27 wins since 2015. Um, you know, it's pretty remarkable. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm just really thankful. When I reflect, I always think about just how lucky I am to, to get to do this and to, you know, to be able to work with such great people, so many great teams over the years. And, you know, I always look back to, um, you know, you talked about Furniture Row and, and, you know, I always think back to, you know, MWR and, and DEI and just how many races we probably should have won. Right. You know, and where that total could be today. <laughs> that's the one that gets me, you know, as a, as a racer, as a, as a guy that's doing it today and, and um, you know, competitive, you always think about the ones that got away more than the ones you won. And, you know, there's so many times where we should have won races and for the dumbest reasons, things happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is frustrating, but at the same time, I think it makes you appreciate the ones you have more and, um, you know, just feel blessed to, uh, to, to be able to, you know, be doing what we're doing today and enjoying the success we are. It's, it's so much fun to win races and, 
um, and to, to race at this level, um, you know, and be one of the guys at the top. So just feeling lucky and hopefully we can keep it going and, you know, who knows in a year or two, maybe we'll be to 40. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this year, you never know. Um, I love James small. I love Australians. I love his accent. I love his passion. I love his cursing unapologetically himself. Uh, the first time you guys won a race together last year, at Martinsville, I was at that one too. And I was scanning your radio and, you know, I'm used to Cole Pern when you guys win races, right? You know, he's, he's Canadian. He's very nice, but he's very passionate still. And then James comes on and just F-bombs left, right, and center, just throwing them out all the time. I'm like, whoa, this is different. How long did it take you to, A, get used to James's accent on the radio, and B, all of his cursing? Because it is a sight to behold, or I guess a sound to behold. <laughs> I love his passion. Like you said, I mean, it's um, it's over the top. It's it's incredible. It's awesome. I mean, he works so hard. And, you know, he's um, he's so dedicated and so driven to, to be, you know, the best and uh, I, I love that. I love that part of it. And that's, you know, part of the reason why we've been successful. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really you know happy for him. And it took a little while, you know, he was my engineer for a while. He'd been around furniture row. He engineered on the 77. Right. For so, I mean, I knew him really, really well when he became crew chief. So I kind of understood the accent and, you know, he's not the first Australian I've worked with. We had another right. Australian at, at furniture row uh, with, with our buddy at old Pete. So, um, definitely not hard to learn the accent. He's still hard to understand on the radio. A lot of times, uh, he blames it on the, on the mask, the stupid mask he has to wear. No, it's his <laughs> which, accent, which I can totally understand. But, um, yeah, yeah, I no, I, I love his passion. I love his, his cursing. I don't mind that at all. And, um, you know, just love it. He's a great guy. So I know that, you know, bonding with a new crew chief is a really important thing to do on track, off track. You and Cole had a really close relationship. I'm curious what you and James did together, maybe off track to then, you know, translate into some on track success. Did you take him fishing? Did you take him hunting? Did you guys do any of that type of stuff? No, not really. Uh, not really. More it's, um, you know, with James, just, you know, you get, to, you get together and have a few BS, you know, <laughs> uh, just, just shoot the shit and hang out. So, uh, yeah. you know, nothing special. Like I said, we had a great relationship and I think, you know, a big part of, of, you know, a big part of this was we've had success before, um, you know, as with him as the engineer. So, I mean, right away, straight off the bat, I had a lot of confidence in him and it wasn't like we had to do anything different or relearn anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, for him, it was all about being, getting comfortable in the, you know, being the guy calling the shots, you know, not help, you not being the guy helping the guy call the shots, you know, he's, right. he, you know, he's the one in the spotlight and he's the one who's going to, you know, take the heat when things go bad and, and, um, you know, that's kind of what the crew chief does. So uh, yeah. he's done a good job of juggling all that and just, you know, be, becoming really confident in his decisions and what he's doing. Uh, and, you know, with no practice, it's been so difficult, you know, and it still is difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm just, just just happy for him that he's, you know, he's got his confidence and, you know, he's not afraid to get aggressive. And I love that. And that's that's been important. So uh, doing a great job and hopefully I can hold up my end of the deal as we go forward here. What does he think of your Australian accent? I like that. Drink some beers there. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I've, had, <laughs> I've been around enough Australians for a while here. I think I got it down pat. So, Have uh, you ever been down under? Have you visited? I No, I haven't. I've never been anywhere that far away. But, you know, in retirement days, it's definitely a, it's definitely a place I'd like to try and uh, check out. I think you might have a couple people you know that can show you around or buy you around or something like that. So. For I sure. think you're in good hands there. For sure. Um, all right. 
couple hard-hitting questions for you because I know we're, uh, we're short on time here. Throwback weekend, there was a lot of pictures circulating as you were winning the stages and stuff of baby face Martin, no beard, uh, strange haircuts, I got to say. I'm guilty of it, too. 80s, man. Uh, 80s. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you there. When did the beard become what it is now? Because, like, what I got going right now, you were you were this for a while, and then you decided to just grow it out crazily. And it looks good on you. But I'm yeah. curious when that decision happened. Was it a Sherry decision? What is it, a you decision? No, Sherry hates it. She doesn't, she, doesn't, she doesn't like it at all. If it gets too long, she's like, you need to trim that thing, <laughs> you know. So, um, I guess, I guess it would have it'd been twenty seventeen. You know, in the playoffs, we did our playoff yeah. series, and um, I don't know for whatever reason it worked for us, obviously. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of liked it, so I, I don't really care much for shaving. I, it's kind of one of my things I don't like, uh, so it works out well for both of those. You know, it's. it's been good racing luck and and i hate to shave those playoff beards were were gnarly i remember cole grew one like in two seconds didn't he he gets he gets when he looks like papa smurf you know he's like yeah he does a little bit kind of thing you know it's just like (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true shaving's not fun for anybody so i get that there um i want to talk about sherry real quick um first of all we, we hope she's doing well um can you give us an update on her health yeah she's doing great she's uh had her last chemo last week and feeling good. You know, hopefully, uh, hopefully she'll never have to do it again. We'll see. But yeah, feeling good. Things are, are uh, you know, everything's everything's good right now. So, yeah, just pray it keeps going. Absolutely great to hear. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I know she's from Michigan. I believe Brighton. Yeah. Uh, I went to Michigan State University, and I know that she originally wanted to go there. Yeah. And when I heard that, I was like. Oh my God, this would have been awesome. Have yeah. you ever gotten a chance to like go towards East Lansing or maybe even on campus? Cause I assume you've been up to Brighton before. No, I actually haven't. I've never been to Brighton. Really? I think she lived there until she's 12 or 13 and then moved. So moved uh, down. Yeah. I've never been, but uh, yeah, her dad, I think her dad went to Michigan state. Um, so that's obviously, you know, where she wanted to go, but didn't get to go. So yeah. yeah, never, never been, I've been around those parts just a little bit, but you know, we spent a lot of time in the summers in Northern Michigan yeah, we do a lot of fishing up there, and, and she's got some family up there, so we enjoy that. But I've uh, never been around those parts where she grew up. Interesting. All right. Well, you're going to have to get up there and give me a status report on East Lansing, and I'll give you some good spots to eat or get a drink or something like that. Right on. Um, all right. Uh, last question. My girlfriend would kill me if I did not ask. So we started dating about like two and a half years ago-ish. For some reason, I don't know, she picked you as her, as her favorite driver. Nice. Um, my mom is also a big fan of yours. They, uh, my girlfriend at least calls you Marty. Does anybody call you Marty? Cause she I, thinks she's the only one. I, I feel bad about saying this now, but I absolutely hate it. <laughs> oh, I'll tell her. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know, but I just absolutely can't stand when people call me that. So it makes me a little angry and I'm sorry I had to say that, but I hope she's not mad at me. I hope she doesn't nah, hate she's me. She's not. She's not. <laughs> she'll understand. She'll, she'll change. She adapts. That's I'll fine. say this. Please don't call me Marty. <laughs> I will, I will relay the message. How about that? Perfect. Okay. All right. I lied. Real quick one. Dover, as I mentioned, you're real good there. Three wins. You finished second the past three times, for goodness sake. Uh, could we see a potential, another Darlington slash Dover domination from you this weekend? I know that you wouldn't mind it. I sure hope so. I mean, that's that's what I'm looking to do. So I hope I hope we can do it. You know, we, uh, we've been so close there. And, um, you know, last year it was it – was, uh, a little bit frustrating you know we led a bunch and 
you know, just uh, didn't quite have what we needed, especially late in the race. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a tough place. It's a long, you know, 400 laps there. It's a long one. It's a, it's a brutal race and uh, yeah. you know, anything can happen, but we're looking forward to it. Well, you got low down force again. We know you love that. We know you love Dover. So best of luck this weekend. Really appreciate your time, man. It was great seeing you. I haven't been able to see you in a while, but uh, you've always been really good to me in my career. So I appreciate your time here today and I will relay the message to my girlfriend. No Marty. <laughs> Only Martin from now on. You got it. Thanks, Davey. Always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully you see you at the track soon. Absolutely. Can't wait, buddy. Thanks. See you. Thank you to Tyler Overstreet over with Martin and uh, also Jennifer with NASCAR and Brent Gamble with NASCAR as well for helping coordinate that conversation. Again, really, really appreciate their time and Martin's time specifically given that to us because we know he's a busy man especially after a race win and going into a track where he's won three times as we mentioned all right white flag is out and i'd like to welcome back on my trusty co-host compadre amy henderson for this week to briefly preview the monster mile this weekend we talked about it with martin he's won there three times he's finished second each of the last three times that we were there so he's got to be the favorite going into this weekend, especially with the same package he dominated last week, right? Absolutely, I think he is. And, and this is a track for him. I think he's got a little extra incentive of his own to win. He considers it his home track. One um, of many, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's from fairly nearby, and, and so I, I think he's always got a little extra under his under his, under his his um, seat to try to win this one, but... You know, he's certainly not the only one who's who's got some pressure on him to get a win. So I, I think it's it's definitely a, a wide open field this week. I think Larson's probably the second one behind him, and actually, according to William Hill's betting odds, they are the two favorites. Larson, I believe, before he won at Vegas earlier this year, Dover was the last time he won a race for Chip Ganassi Racing, and I guess it was 2019 in the playoffs. And he's always been pretty good here as well because. Usually, I mean, before he left and came back, you know, NASCAR at Dover was all about running the high line once the tires wear out and the run goes along, low grip, stuff like that. So Larson really likes this place, too. I would not be shocked at all if we saw roles reversed and Larson was the one dominating and Truex was the one trying to catch him at the end. Absolutely true. And and you have to look at it, just looking at, at the past history at, at uh, Dover. You've got Kevin Harvick with three wins as well as Truex. Um, Kyle Busch and Ryan Newman also there at the top. There's no – it used to you, – back in the last few years, up until probably about three or four years ago, you'd go to Dover and pretty much just mark Jimmy Johnson to win this thing. Yeah. Well, now we're in the post-Jimmy Johnson era at Dover, and that does leave you kind of without a clear-cut top dog there. Um, I do agree, Truex, the track is going to play really well to Larson's style. Um, but there's a couple other drivers, Harvick, and he's hungry for to have a have a he win. He needs one, yeah. He needs one badly, and um, so I, I, he's one that I don't want to count out ever. Uh, Chase Elliott is feast or famine at at Dover, he's so he's yep. another one, and he needs a win. So it, I think it's going to be an exciting race, just because you've got a lot of guys who really are the pressure is starting to be on um, to make the playoffs. So. I think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of heat up at the front. It's a tough race. It's tough to pass at Dover. Uh, track position is everything. So it's going to be on who can get up there and, and hang on to it. So I I think it should be an exciting race. 
Two other drivers I want to hit on quickly is Chase Elliott's teammate, William Byron, who is very quietly, and I also wrote about this in Mailbox this week, very quietly having an unbelievable season, 10 straight top 10 finishes in a row for Hendrick Motorsports, and that, I think, either has tied or broken the longest streak at Hendrick, which was held by Jeff Gordon, and now Byron's also the youngest driver to ever get that many top 10s in a row. He's never won at Dover. He's only got two wins to his credit in his cup career, but this is one of the best seasons that Hendrick has had to start in a long, long time. Moreover, William Byron's career, I mean, 10 straight top 10s, that is nothing to snuff at. Yeah, that's leading the cup series, and that's the, the attention's been on Hamlin and his streak, and his is top five So, <laughs> as well. So yeah. that's, that's certainly super impressive, and not to take anything away from Hamlin, who is certainly you know, a veteran presence in the, in the sport, but for a driver, I mean, from Byron, it seems to have come out of nowhere. And really the only change that they've made is bringing in Rudy Fugel, who was his crew chief in trucks. Big change though. And they probably in all fairness should have won a championship together. A blown engine kept that from happening. It was not a performance issue. It was a mechanical issue Mm -hmm. that probably kept him from winning a truck title. So, Obviously, there's something between those two, and and we've seen it before, right? There are certain drivers that they get with a certain crew chief, and it's magic. You've got Keselowski and Paul Wolf, and that's nothing to take away from Jeremy Bullens, who's an excellent crew chief, and Keselowski's done well with him. But you don't seem to have that quite that magic yet. Johnson and Chad Knauss, yeah, who didn't click as well with William Byron. You know, so it's hard to say. Hey, that whole thing was all one driver, all crew chief. But yeah. when you get two of them together that click this is what happens and and it's a lot of fun to watch and it's 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 um but that's really kind of the only real change that team has seen and it's been a big one and a positive one yeah it's got to be the right mix of everything coming together and it seems like right now byron and the 24 team they are clicking on all cylinders for sure also dover's going to be actually offering johnson and johnson vaccinations at the track by miles the monster there's going to be fans in attendance, I think 20% of the capacity at that venue. And if you're there and you haven't got vaccinated yet, you can get it right there. So that's great to see fans in the stands and free vaccinations going on for them as well. Yeah, that's a, that's. I thought that was a, a really kind of a cool thing for the Speedway to do, right? It's a great incentive to come out and get, if you haven't gotten your, your vaccination and you're planning on going to the race anyways, might as well do it all at once. Um, you know, you might you might feel a little lousy the next day, but it's probably worth it. And definitely, um, yeah, <laughs> definitely worth worth the uh, then the, you know it's a, a great excuse to have, you know to stay home from work the next day. So there you go, you have your your built in sick note for the next day. Exactly. Yeah. And um, but no, I, I think it's it's a really a really unique way to encourage people to get vaccinated, and you know for at an event that they're probably already going to and making it easily available and not something they have to miss work for, or I think that's, that's a big deal. And Hey, if, if that's what it takes to get, to get the stands full at every track, hopefully by the end of this year, if not, you know, then definitely for next year, if that's what it takes, then, then, then absolutely. Let's hope, let's uh, see if we can get more tracks on board. Get shot up. People do it. Get back to normal. Checkered flag. Checkered Flag is out on the podcast this week, Amy. 
we do this segment called do's and don'ts. Uh, and I'm having some trouble thinking of them for you because what I do is I do this thing that's now turned into a bit and I don't know why. But when we had Michael Massey on, instead of do's and don'ts, it was moves and moans. Zach was on, it was zoos and zones. It's very bad. It's very bad. And I don't know what the pronunciation would be for A. It wouldn't be ooze or oats. I, I don't understand that. So let's just call it do's and don'ts for you as well. I'll go first. We'll, we'll do these quick hitters here. My do for this week is to enjoy another 750 package race. It might not be the most compelling thing you see from the naked eye. I'm going to be there in person, thankfully, on behalf of us at Front Stretch in the press box. I'm going to enjoy seeing drivers lift into the corners and have the tires wear out throughout the run and migrate up towards the wall to get better runs. So I'm going to enjoy that. That's my do. My don't is to get mad if it gets strung out. Do not get mad if it gets strung out because we saw that at Darlington with this package. You're probably going to see it again at Dover. It's a long, grueling race. As you said, Amy, 400 miles, 400 laps. So don't get too, don't get your panties in a wad if everybody's strung out because it's going to happen. It's part of racing, but we'll enjoy the parts that we have in between there. Amy, what are your do's and don'ts for the week? All right, my do for this week is as you're watching the race at Dover, do be patient because it's 400 miles at Dover is about twice as long as 400 miles anywhere else. <laughs> and I remember when they used to race 500 miles, which took about three days. <laughs> but it was crazy how long some of those races were. But it's a long 400 mile race. So if your guy isn't up front at the beginning, you know, kind of, you know, have some faith in some strategy and things like that, because it, it is a strategy track. It's not a heavy duty passing track. And, and with that, I will say, I, I will echo what you said. Don't be too frustrated if it's not as competitive right up front all single day, because you usually Dover has a history of having, and again, we, we always want that. And they tend to be very organic late restarts. So look for that late restart to play a very key role in how the outcome of this race is, because we've seen it before where a driver will, will be running away with it. The field closes up at the end and suddenly there's somebody there who can run with them. So I do keep an open mind on this race and, um, but do expect a caution kind of late in the game that may change it all up entirely. I do like late race restarts. It is entertaining, fun to watch. So we will keep an eye on that. All right. Courtesy of William Hill, Amy, I'm going to run through some matchups this week. All you got to do is pick who's going to finish higher out of the two drivers. A quick yes or no to each one. Rapid fire. Are you ready? Let's do it. Denny Hamlin or Kevin Harvick? Hamlin. Martin Truex Jr. or Kyle Larson? Truex. Okay, he's the favorite. That's that's the money matchup right there. Chase Elliott or Kyle Busch? Kyle Busch. He is the favorite as well. Brad Keselowski or Joey Logano, Penske teammates? Oh, that's a tough one, but I'm going to go with Keselowski on this one. He's also the favorite. You should be an odds maker, Amy. William Byron or Alex Bowman, another pair of teammates? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with Bowman and his, his little bit more experience here. I'll go Byron because I think he's going to continue that top 10 streak. He's my sleeper for the win. Ryan Blaney or Christopher Bell? Blaney. Me too. Kurt Busch or Tyler Reddick? Oh, that's a tough one, but I, I got to go with young Reddick. He's been looking pretty stout lately. 
I agree. Uh, Kurt needs a good run, but Redick over Kurt is actually my lock of the week, and it's even money either way. So I'll ride with Redick. Last week's guest on the podcast, Matt DiBenedetto or Austin Dillon? That's a tough one. DiBenedetto. I'll go Dillon. Almirola or Newman? Newman. Okay, I'll go Eric there. I think he needs a he needs a rebound bad too. So does Cole Custer. Cole Custer or Chris Busher? You know, again, momentum does it, is everything. I'm going to go with Chris Busher. I will as well. Got a top 10 for Rash Fenway Racing this past week, as did his teammate. So, again, if you want to make any of these bets, bet responsibly. I probably won't sprinkle anything on any of these, even though there's a casino on the grounds at Dover. So, who knows? Maybe we'll see how I'm feeling Sunday morning. But this has been fun, Amy. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you uh, working with me with my crazy, hectic schedule this week. But I think the people really liked hearing from you. You had an insightful analysis. It was great to catch up with you, and I thank you for your time as always. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoy any time I get to come on and talk racing, everybody. It's the I could, best. You know, I'm one of those people. I could talk about racing pretty – I'd probably bore people. So I know, I know. It's great. Well, that's been it for this week's episode of the Front Stretch Podcast with Martin Truex Jr., Again, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you like what you heard today, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe. We're on all major podcast platforms. And until next week, stay safe, get outside, get vaccinated, keep wearing that mask, and we'll catch you back here at the best seat at the track on the Front Stretch Pod.